Welcome to the Focus on Agriculture podcast, where we address topics relevant to today's consumers and farmers. I'm Preston Schrader. And I'm Jason Carr. Preston and I are Technology Development Reps, or TDRs, for Bear Crop Science. As TDRs, our primary mission is to help solve agronomic challenges that farmers face and to understand how to best utilize the bear suite of products, including traits, genetics, crop protection, as well as digital tools, to create solutions that are tailored to each grower's unique farm. We have a couple goals with this podcast, the first being to help farmers across the country to address challenges that they face throughout the growing season while introducing them to game-changing technology that has the potential to radically benefit their farming practices. We also want to provide the consumers of ag commodities who are not necessarily involved in agriculture with information about the practices farmers engage in and the reasons behind them, hopefully provide a greater level of understanding and comfort with how their food is produced. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing the benefits of integrating cover crops into farmers' operations. To help us understand this topic, our guest is Dan Towery, who operates Ag Conservation Solutions, an ag consulting firm in West Lafayette, Indiana. Dan has over 40 years of experience helping growers optimize soil health on their farms. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Would you mind starting out telling the audience a little bit about your background and your education history, and then maybe get into your current position? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, name's Dan Towery. I operate Ag Conservation Solutions. It's a crop consulting company that uh, most of my emphasis uh, in the past uh, 15 years has been in cover crops, no-till farming, soils. Basically, it's the whole mantra of, yes, we, we need to produce uh, high yields, but we need to also look at the long-term uh, aspects of our soil resources and environmental and, and make sure that we're in balance there. So uh, agronomy degree from Western Illinois University uh, with USDA for 25 years, uh, NRCS, Natural Resources Conservation Service, a uh, couple of different field offices, including Springfield, uh, state agronomist in Illinois, then over to the Conservation Technology Information Center at uh, Purdue Research Park in West Lafayette, uh, which is a national ag clearinghouse. That's what brought me to uh, uh, Indiana. Was there for ten years and started my own company. So it's uh, seen a lot of changes. It was uh, when I started out. It was uh, I remember working with a few growers that uh, there were the chisel plow was still pretty new to them. Before that, that had been mobile plowing. And uh, as we look across the countryside now, it's uh, rarely you see a field that's been mobile plowed. But that's pretty well that's gone at least here in the Midwest. So uh, 25 years with USDA in a government position, you uh, probably saw quite a few changes and and weathered some uh, political changes through those years. Oh, yeah, a a few. I mean, we could say that it wasn't political back then, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) that that wouldn't quite be true. So, you know, everything changes and you just adapt to it and and move on. Growing up on my grandfather's farm in Fulton County, Illinois, it was pretty rolling and fairly intensive tillage. And I said, wow. How come the the ridges are are dark colored, but the the side slopes are so so yellow? What's going on? Well, I don't know. This is this is the way. It, it's what happens. 
that change in soil color actually perked my interest in what was going on and uh and growing up on the illinois river very well aware of uh sedimentation that that occurs and let's just say uh, uh it's amazing what a youngster will do in in the 60s early 70s uh, as far as thinking nothing about swimming in the illinois river and uh Water quality was not a, a thought, but uh, let's just say it was uh, uh, at that time one didn't need to use suntan lotion because they would they would get an oil slit scheme on their on their skin <laughs> whether they wanted it or not. So yeah, it, you know sometimes we talk about the good old days, but some things have definitely changed for the better since back then. Yeah, yeah, you're out there and you 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 know. Uh, Pardon my French, but uh, you know, uh, you see a, t a turd floating by, and and that was uh, not, not not so good, not so good. It, uh, so so anyway, anyway, but that was got my interest in you know what could I do to help improve, protect our environment, uh, but at the same time uh, realizing that uh, people also had to make a living. So this has been a, a passion of yours for a long time, and um, I would say. It seems like in the last few years, cover crops have kind of come into fashion or come back into fashion, maybe. Yeah, it's actually back into fashion, and and, and part of it is I think we, you know, we kind of get caught up in you know our our short time frame that we have, and um, you know, it's it's if we think about it, it the very basics, the the black soils we know. They're they're black because that was prairie was the native vegetation, and periodically a fire would come through, and uh, but it was uh, the prairie grasses, which the big blue stem would be uh, five to seven feet tall, roots going down as deep as twelve feet, and over years, uh, this is what led to the dark soils and this is part of what as i wanted to learn more about organic matter and and uh, uh why are some soils dark and some soils light and obviously it's a very basic you know if, if it native vegetation was timber organic matter would typically you know less than two percent uh they were very light and we all know that the prairie soils yield more than the forested soils because of the organic matter and the additional nutrients and water holding capacity. But as I was growing up, I was seeing that we're, we're losing our prairie soils. <laughs> they're, they're, the black is becoming thinner and uh, it's not as dark as it used to be. And in fact, in some cases, it, it, with a little bit of slope to it, uh, it's becoming very yellowish. and uh, Still yield fairly well when the weather cooperated perfectly, but you get a dry spell and uh, you really felt it. And when you got the heavy rains and especially the lighter soils, because those were usually a little little steeper and you have uh, additional soil erosion that was occurring. That's one of the things uh, I talk about uh, soil erosion and building organic matter and you know, we're, we're all, you know, think about it as a, this year's crop cycle, one year, one year. And 
this is where it takes a little paradigm shift, I think. You, one needs to look at it a much longer time scale. Uh, you know, uh, some of the talk is, you know, a farmer typically, maybe he'll have 40 crops that he's going to grow in his career. You hear a lot of farmers talk about whether well, our goal is to leave, leave the ground uh, better than what it was when I got it. And, and my, most of them are very sincere in it, but it was, I've actually challenged a few of them and that was like, well, let's see exactly what you're doing and are you improving the soil? Uh, and it's, it's, cause it's not typically it's, it takes m multiple years, uh, to, to, to see changes that are, are even somewhat significant, but it's, it's, um, um, it does, it does, it does occur. And uh, so it's it's uh, the there's a difference. The, the topsoil that we have is uh, totally different than what's below ground, and it's a that topsoil is precious, and it needs to be treated accordingly. You you talked about the the cover crops, and you and you referenced some of the benefits there: the reduced erosion, the building up of the topsoil, just at a real basic level, maybe the three or four things, I know it's hard to dial it down to three or four things probably that, that cover crops do for you, but what are the main benefits or what what would you say just kind of in a, you know, if you really had to be put on the spot, what does it do for the soils? Well, yeah, and it's hard for me to just, you know, pick out two or three because it actually does so so many things. Part of it is the whole idea, if we look at our cropping seasons, you know, the time we have corn and beans growing, uh, yeah, five months out of the year, and we've got frozen soil for two or three months, but it's bare. Uh, nothing's growing uh, four months of the year. So, you know, it, it depends on where you're at, location a little bit, but because but, uh, think about it. Corn plants after it reaches black layer, it's done. Soybeans go a little bit longer, and then when the crop is planted, uh, until it gets to about oh, at a minimum V5 it, before it gets much significant of a root down there. So you think about it as we raise corn and soybeans, it's it's all we're we're doing is, is we're putting plants out there to be solar collectors take that solar energy and we're making crops out of it. Uh, well, with the, the cover crops, we're extending that time. We have something growing out there and the soil is meant to have something growing. It gets back to the whole, as I, as I tell growers, a lot of times what we're trying to do here is mimic mother nature, mimic mother nature. You know, it, been around for a long time. Mother Nature kind of has it figured out. And we're going in here uh, doing tillage, disturbing the soil, uh, keeping it uh, something growing only five months uh, or so out of the year typically. And that is not normal. So if we can mimic Mother Nature and have something growing, we can really help in the ag production process. We talked about the organic matter, but it's it's. Uh, I've done a lot of work with different rippers and looking at compaction in the soil. 
Well, most of the compaction in the soil, um, a lot of it is man-made. Uh, you know, think about it. Uh, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, our ag equipment has gotten heavier and we run the risk, you know, again, if we have moist soils and heavy weight, compaction is a result. And having cover crops out there helps alleviate that compaction. It helps increase the soil biology. This, the soil biology is, is one that uh, we'll go into more detail on that a little bit. But we, we take it, for, well, we don't, we don't even recognize that it's there. And uh, the soil biology makes everything happen. And uh, when we have a higher level of soil biology, a lot of good benefits can happen out, out of that process. So, you know, uh, cover crops can help with weed control. It's all about competition. Uh, it can help create nitrogen or legumes or our grasses uh, can take up excess nitrogen that may be in the soil. So all these are, are each different cover crops has a, a different strategy and, and whatnot. And like I said, one year, you don't see much difference. But I always tell growers when they use cover crops, always look for a difference, but don't expect it the first couple of years. Uh, there's a definite learning curve in learning how to use cover crops uh, from what species to plant, when to plant them, how to plant them, how to terminate them. Uh, lots of different things going on out there. And it can be overwhelming uh, when, you, when you first get into it, but it is, keep it small. Growers that I work with, I always encourage the, the, the easiest cover crop to start off with is cereal rye. And the easiest crop to plant into cereal rye is soybeans. So that's that's always uh, one of the beginner beginner cover crops that I talk about. And then on the it it it, it makes a difference though is the first question I have when working with a grower and ask well, what cover crop should I plant? I said, well, what's going to be your cash crop the following year? So that should dictate what what cover crop you're going to plant. That's a good perspective, Dan. You were talking about the benefits, and I'm sure you could talk for three hours on you know all the the many benefits that that farmers can have with with cover crops. I kind of want to play devil's advocate real quick. So in sure. Central Illinois, um, it's a little bit different than areas like Southern Illinois, where maybe you have some more marginal soils, and it seems like adoption of cover crops. Um, is a lot more rapid. There's a lot more guys experimenting with the use of cover crops and the rotation. How do cover crops in your perspective fit into, you know, those areas, say central Illinois, where we have the higher productive um, value soils? Well, there's, there's a couple of different ways. One, we want to keep those, those soils productive. Then we're also looking at how, how do we cope with our variable weather patterns i mean we went from some areas being excessively wet in may uh through middle of june in july we were in drought conditions because it got so dry you know if you look at the basic premise if we keep the soil covered either with a living plant like a cover crop or with residue uh we can keep that soil 
and that temperature range around 70 degrees. This makes the soil biology happy, and they're not too much different than humans. We all like 70 degrees. You have bare soil, hot sun, and it can get up to 120 degrees. Well, the biology quits working when it gets that hot, and, and we're gonna keep more moisture. So I think, going back to your question, you know, the dark prairie soils, uh, we can be, become more efficient in our nutrient use. We can actually cut back on nutrients. This, again, this is long-term, very much a, a stepping stone type of thing, but a high level of soil biology, the interactions that take place can re replace some of our, our commercial fertilizers so we can become, save money and become more efficient. Soil erosion is not paramount, but again, it, it's uh, also if you have lower areas that maybe water ponds a little bit. I work with a number of growers who they adopted cover crops, no-till, and their ponds, they don't have any water standing in them anymore. Water doesn't run off down into the lower areas of the field, and they don't lose the crop in those low areas. Again, typically takes five years to see this accomplished. It all depends because they're so, how, how bad is the compaction, uh, you know, uh, this type of thing. But all I know is I know that we can do more with uh, living roots than we can with uh, a ripper. So many times a, a deep ripper going through the soil, uh, again, depending on moisture conditions, there's nothing worse than running ripper into moist soil because you're just smearing it and making the compaction actually worse. So, so we can we can take a, a, a advantage of that because that it's important for the soil to breathe. It has to be able to breathe. And as we increase the organic matter, we can improve the aggregate stability, the, the small little clogs in the soil. And that makes a, a huge, huge difference. Um, and how much water infiltrates into the soil versus how much water runs off the soil when we have, you know, uh, a one to two inch thunderstorm that occurs. So we're going to have more moisture available when it turns dry in July and August. Uh, pretty significant numbers there. So it's, it's, a, it's everything is a trade-off, though. You know, you, you, you change some things and, you know, you save the, the cost of doing tillage, making running those trips up in there, burning diesel. But you, the, the people that are using cover crops and no-till, they spend a lot more time thinking about their management, their program, what they're doing. Uh, the ones who are really successful are very keen observers of details. So you obviously, um, you referenced that, in some situations, you know, farmers are going to see an immediate benefit, basically, if it's a highly erodible soil or, you know, there's right. there's def definitely situations where they see an immediate benefit. And you also reference that in some cases, it might be five years down the road before a farmer is going to see a benefit. So a, a visible, maybe maybe obvious benefit to them, especially financially. So what is your advice for farmers who don't see a financial, you know, they do the math and they don't see a financial benefit in that first couple years. How, how do you coach them? Well, basically one is um, put out strips with and without cover crops so you can compare. Uh, 
the weather in different years uh, may, you may get exactly opposite results. And again, it's, I'm talking about you know everything is still going to work, but it was how, how well does it work? One of the one of the things that always encourage folks to do, and this is it sounds simple, but it's really I ask them if they're interested in covers. I said, what do you want to accomplish? What are your goals? And a lot of times I don't get an answer, or if it is, it's just you know the canned answers. Well, I want to reduce soil loss and, and that type of thing, but to, to really get to what what are they wanting to improve on their farm. And so put out the strips, and if you're, you need to start small and, and gradually expand, but you need to keep the strips going for two or three years, because a lot of times it's year about year three when we really start to be able to visually see uh, differences in the soil. Some folks will, you know, do a 40 acres over here and a 40 acres over there, and then but 40, you know, three years they've done 120 acres, but they're on three fields. And it's it's what I call being stuck in the transition phase, which is a good start. But if you really focus and put the covers uh, on strips in the same field, then I know it, nobody likes to do that. It takes time. But, you know, with our GPS now and, you know, if you're, and especially it works out nice if you're, your planter and drill width there are that, that those uh widths are the same or in multiples so like if you've got a 30 foot planter 30 foot drill uh 15 uh, uh, corn head anything that it matches so you can you can plant it uh plant the cover crops plant the cash crop spray the herbicides fertilize and then do yield checks uh but it may only be you know, a few bushels difference. But a lot of times if it's, especially with coverage, everybody talks about the cost of the seed and, and getting your money back. And, uh, you know, it five bushels on corn, you know, if, if $4, I mean, that's at $20, you know, that basically is probably your cost of cover crop seed. But you're gonna have variations in soil types and, and whatnot. So that's where if you have the strips the in the length of the field, you can do a much better job of, of agronomically looking at the, the facts, if you will, and, and see what it's what it's doing. That's um, a great perspective and we also like to iterate uh, or I guess we also like to tell farmers that with the advent of digital ag and the ability to pull yield date on a spatial level, it's now easier ever than ever to have your own trial there on your, you know, 80 acre field, split yep. it three ways or four ways, however you want to split it. Um, it's easy to, to get that yield data. I have two yep. follow-up questions for you and you've already talked a little bit about this, about tillage specifically. So the first question is how do tillage systems and cover crops interact? And then the second question is, are there better cover crop choices for different tillage systems? Okay. Yeah, and typically with the, the cover crop, you know, a lot of the growers that have been using them are in a no-till system, so they're not doing any tillage. However, and I'll, I'll throw it all the way over, we have, you know, basically if you look at the three cornerstones of the you know you've got your conventional tillage uh which may be all kinds of typically 
chisel plow or field cultivator type thing, uh, multiple trips, vertical tillage tools, very popular. Uh, so we're shallowly mixing the residue and, and the soil anywhere typically in the top four to five inches, or if it's a little more aggressive in the chisel plow, then down to seven inches or so. Obviously, it's we have more biomass, uh, which is something to deal with with tillage. So it typically, if you're in like organic systems, organics uh, still use uh, or can use a fair amount of tillage with the cover crops, but it's typically they have to be turned under. And uh, there's some of that done. Most of what I work with or is in with a, a no-till situation. Now, there are some that are, it's all about how much biomass that you're producing. So like another good beginning cover crop scenario is to plant oats and radishes. So in central Illinois, oats and radishes will winter kill out. Typically it takes about three nights of temperatures down to about 20 degrees and it will kill the radish. However, the key to the successful use of oats and radishes is they have to be planted timely. We have to give the cover crops enough time to take advantage of what warm weather there is. So like in central Illinois, we would like to see the oats and radishes planted by September 15th. Well, Typically, if a guy is using full season soybeans, soybeans may not be harvested. So one thing that we know we can do is plant a half group earlier maturing soybean variety and plant first. And it will yield just as well and will allow you to get the oats and radishes. Typically we'd be drilling them and get them planted on a timely basis. Then the radishes can have a look be like an inch and a half diameter of a taproot going down about uh, 12 to 20 inches and uh, help really great at breaking up compaction. The oats are really good. Uh, fibrous uh, helps with the mycorrhizae fungi and the soil biology part of it. And and you could either no-till into it or you could run a vertical tillage tool over that uh, when it came came back time to, to to plant the corn so those are you know some some examples of where the tillage can work with it i talked earlier about wanting to increase the organic matter and uh, we can increase it if we don't do tillage so no-till basically i measured it a lot it can increase it about one-tenth of a percent per year in the top four inches. Uh, we can about double that if we add cover crops to it. So it's we've had guys take their organic matter uh, over a period of years from 3% to 5%. Wow. Um, Big jump. And obviously yes, it is. there's some obvious, uh, I mean, nobody can deny the benefits of that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's not easy. I mean, this is... Not, you know, none of this comes easy, you know, to get the cover crops planted timely. Uh, and there's all kinds of different scenarios. We've had some who have gone to aerial application, some with uh, taking a, a like a Hagee sprayer and modifying it so it can seed cover crops and go into standing corn and seed cover crops at that time. 
So typically that would be done like the 1st of September. So there's there's all kinds of different options out there. But again, there may be several things that you need to do to help help make that succeed. Again, it's like in many things, it's the details. The details are so important. Uh, the basic concept is, you know, plant cover crops and, and you know, you're, you're going to see improvements in, in your soil. So, again, it's, it's uh, you know, and part of it when I work with growers, it's you look at the, you know, the, the well-drained soils are typically the more erosive. Those are the ones that get the, the highest, probably short-term payback from adding covers to them. The flatter soils, blacker soils, uh, it's more of a, a little bit more of a long-term. But one of the things, like we've got guys who will fly on cover crops or use the high clearance equipment there in early September, uh, harvest the crop, and actually they can, they can be out there harvesting the crop because they have that root mass of the cover crop, and they can be out there when the conventional till guys uh the combine has to sit because it's t- the soil is too wet so that's that's a uh again how, how much value is in that some years maybe not any other years uh, you know it may be worth five days of, of harvest time difference where one can go but the important thing is it's also we're getting more water into the soil instead of running off and running off down into the nearest ditch nearest creek um, and down into the nearest river. So we want to maintain the water cycle, but we want to we want to keep the soil and the nutrients on the field as much as possible. So Dan, in well, episode four of our podcast, we talked to John Sullivan, who's the director of the Illinois Department of Ag, mm-hmm. and he talked with us about a really popular cover crop program that we have here in Illinois. They just initiated it this year to encourage guys to plant cover crops there's some funding available they help cost share it so are there programs similar programs in other states are there federal programs and what is the best way for a grower to find out about those programs in their own state okay the best way is to contact your local natural resources conservation service office or soil and water conservation district they're typically in the in the same office the USDA Service Center, because there's all kinds of different, there's federal programs, there are watershed-specific programs, there's some different state initiatives, and then there may be actually some that may be with a nonprofit and uh, some type of agribusiness. It all depends. And each county is a little bit different. And what's important for a, a person to know, whether a landowner or an operator, Typically, there's a lot more requests than there are dollars to go around. But if you get to know the staff, ask them, about, and, and sign-ups may be different for different programs at different times of year. Sometimes it may be a one-year shot. So just here's 30 bucks to help you plant a cover crop. Other times it may be a three-year program which are really nice. And occasionally you'll get into some of the long-term federal programs, which actually can go 10 years. The more, the longer term, there's more paperwork involved. And, you know, there may be, if you do comparisons, you get, you you rank higher. A lot of these times they have to 
because of the competition, um, they go through a scoring system. So yes, you, you need to try to understand how that how that system works and become friends with the the folks at the USDA office uh, or soil and water district directors and uh, try to get some insight uh, onto it on how it works because we know margins are tight, especially right now, and uh, you know cover crops aren't real expensive, but it's it's typically you're going to be looking at uh, oh average cost is probably. 20 25 dollars for seed and then plus whatever it is to you know 10 12 dollars to to get it seeded per acre um, that's that's great advice dan i uh at the beginning of the podcast you mentioned the fact that cover crops are growing in popularity i i just had a question is there any technology on the horizon that's going to help facilitate more widespread adoption of cover crops anything you're excited about well, yeah, there's, there's several things. Uh, one of them is where we keep, and this is, I'll, I'll give most of the credit to the, the innovation of our growers out there. So I talked about the aerial seeding and using the high clearance equipment, you know, late August, early September. Well, last four years, five years now, I've been working on uh, early interseeding. So we're actually seeding the cover crops when the corn is at about V3 to V5. And uh, it takes a little higher level management and it's all about, it's what we call interseeding. Uh, but the idea is you get the cover crop up about five inches tall, then the corn will shade it and it will basically just sit there. Uh, gets enough light to stay alive, but uh, it's not competing with the corn. I know I've been out to New York and uh, it's become very popular out there with the interseed in the corn at, at V4, take the corn off uh, for silage and they have a hay crop to work with that fall. So that's a, a, a real win-win for them. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, if anything that, if they can get, if a farmer can get in the field earlier like that, when it's more accessible, obviously that helps to encourage being able to do some of these things. Right. Except it also, it's like we have the different cover crop seed. We have different seed sizes. Our big seeds, those have to be drilled in. They have to get some, you know, some depth to them. Uh, it be planted an inch deep or so. So and you got medium-sized seed and smaller seed. The medium, even, and especially the smaller seed, you can, like, flying it on. Okay, well, you know, that works some years. I mean, think about the, the environment you're putting the seed on. You know, you're, you're flying it on. Um, if you have dry soil, it's just sitting on top. And there are predators out there, that, some of them that would eat some of the seeds. But the big thing is, well, if you would happen to get two-tenths of an inch of rain, and it doesn't rain again for 10 days, well, it's germinated, but there's not enough moisture to, for it to, to go through. So there's, some would say it's luck. The good managers actually, uh, they watch the weather patterns and they, you're not always going to, going to be right, but you can look at the what are your odds of success, knowing that you need the rain if it's dry out there in order to get it up. That's just, you know, again, one example. 
the uh, others that we got, and this is this. I know I'm gonna mention it just because with some of the issues that we're having with weed resistance. Um, you know, again, I talked earlier about our prairie, and we had a you know prairie. We have the grasses and forbs, uh, which are forbs are like our legumes. A lot of variety out there, which is so important for soil biology. Adding diversity is really important as we look at long term. And again, adding wheat or triticale or barley to the rotation is a game changer. Uh, then you can come in and do the warm season cocktail. This is much more advanced, but uh, things like sun hemp and cowpea and, and sorghum sudan grass and pearl millet and you have them out growing in late July, August, September. It's it's what I call putting the soil biology on steroids. So obviously you're not going to do your every acre. Uh, in fact, you're not going to may not even be able to do it in the rotation. But I guess right now I'm just encouraging folks to at least try it on a, a 10 acre patch or a 20 acre patch. And uh, you got to do enough that it's it's you're going to do it right. But uh, uh, we've seen some phenomenal increases in yield uh, with less nutrients uh, needed for for that corn crop after these these cocktail mixes. So, but that's again, typically this is for somebody that's been using covers for probably uh, seven to ten years before they would would, would think about this. But you know, you, you talked about what else? Well, then relay cropping. Uh, again, very cutting edge, and it's it's still you have seven and a half inch spacing on your drill, and so you plug the rows, uh, you know, every 15 inches. So you plant your wheat or your barley, and then come in and seed your soybeans into that strip. Come in, harvest the wheat, and basically what we've seen is almost maybe a slightly less than normal, but we, we you know, harvesting the wheat with the, the the platform running right on on top of the soybeans and then the soybeans come on and they're full season soybeans and and harvest so you get your uh 80 bushel wheat and oh you also get your 60 bushel soybeans and and you've done great things for the soil so it's, this is what we call a relay cropping so it's this is Again, not commonplace, but some of our our more uh, advanced growers are are, are doing the, the relay cropping route, Add, adding that as part of their arsenal. Sounds sounds like there's all kinds of exciting things on the horizon, or or you know, once you get your feet in the water of the cover crop, um, there's a lot of uh, more advanced techniques and things routes you can take. So oh, there, um, there definitely is. There definitely is. But I guess the big thing is, and, and a real basic right now is, is we're, you know, the whole idea of putting more carbon back into the soil. I mean, that can keep carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And ag can be a major player if we could get it on a significant amount of acres. Well, Dan, you've given us a a lot of great information here today, and we really appreciate it. Um, is there 
what is the best way if if there's a farmer who's interested or anybody else who's interested in talking to you a little bit further how how can they reach you do you have a website uh twitter account what what's the best way to reach you oh yeah my my i got facebook but i'm i'm on it but i'm not i'm a little on the old school on this i'm not real active with it probably best is just to email me uh I, I do have a website. I need to I haven't updated it. Um, it just agconservationsolutions.com. I got the basics there. I, I need to get it cleaned up a little bit. But uh, uh, I mean, there's lots of resources out there. But this is this is one of the, the issues that uh, growers have really is finding where can they. I mean, one of the things I strongly encourage is if there's a group of growers that are interested in cover crops and putting together a small group, trying some of these trials, share some of their experiences. What I've seen is they've morphed into sharing equipment or, uh, you know, this type of thing. And it's it's fun. Um, and it also is a great learning experience for folks out there. So we've, there's, we've got a Indiana is a little further ahead on cover crops than Illinois is, um, but there's some, some good core core folks out there that are, are really, really good. Uh, well, Dan, thanks again for your time and participation with this podcast. It's been a pleasure. All right. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.